You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I want to welcome you back today to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. This is a podcast with the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ. And my name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the host of this podcast. And we are in a journey, a study of how we got the Bible. This study came into existence by the request of members of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at Preston Crest. And this is episode 78, but the second lesson in this series on how we got the Bible. This series, as we discussed in the last episode, is important for many reasons. It addresses some common questions that people often ask about the Bible, such as, how did the book come together? How do we know it's reliable? How do we know it's complete? These questions, among others, are usually answered in a study of this nature. I mentioned it in the last episode, what I'm covering today and in the next few episodes, as well as last episode, really just scratches the surface of a massive field of study in biblical scholarship pertaining to how we got the Bible. But if you would like a great study resource, you can find it on Amazon. There was a book written by Dr. Neil Lightfoot, who is a professor for many years at Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas. He wrote a Bible entitled How We Got He wrote a book, not a Bible. He wrote a book entitled How We Got the Bible. And his information is very scholarly, but it's written in a practical way, in a way that I believe would bless your life or anyone who wants to learn more about this subject. Last episode, we discussed the New Testament manuscripts, how they came into existence. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode if you have not done so already, because today we're going to shift our focus not as much on how things came into existence, but evaluating the things which are already in existence, and that is a discipline known as textual criticism. Maybe you've heard that terminology before, textual criticism. You may be wondering, what in the world is textual criticism? Well, first, let me give you the academic definition. This is coming from Dr. Lightfoot in his book, How We Got the Bible. Dr. Neil Lightfoot defines textual criticism as, and I quote, a highly advanced science of biblical interpretation that focuses on the form of words within the text, end quote. Let me give you a more practical definition for textual criticism. Why are there different translations of the New Testament? And why are there footnotes at the bottom of 
the page of my Bible that sometimes read its phrase this way or did not appear in original manuscripts. If you've ever spent time looking at the footnotes at the bottom of your Bible, well, you are, to a certain extent, engaging in the discipline of textual criticism. Textual criticism really wants to know why is there a difference between this translation or that translation? Why was there a difference between that manuscript or another manuscript? One thing that I did Sunday morning in the Discover Young Adults Ministry Bible class to illustrate this was I had a couple of people come up on stage and draw pictures of the state of Texas and the state of Arkansas. I put the picture up on a screen. They each had an opportunity to draw their own picture of Texas and then Arkansas. And as you would suspect, their pictures, though they looked similar, were also very different. And I asked the question, why are these pictures different? There's one computer-generated image, and then there's one human being's attempt to copy the computer-generated image, and then another human being's attempt to copy the computer-generated image. What you were left with was three different images of the same main image. Why are they different? The answer is pretty simple. Human beings are fallible. If you depend on us to make an exact representation or an exact copy, it will never be exact. And the same is true for textual criticism. The Word of God is miraculous and infallible. But scribes copying the Word of God, that was non-miraculous, and that was fallible. The Word of God is perfect. People aren't perfect. And so in the process of copying manuscripts, mistakes inevitably were going to be made. And that explains the differences between the manuscripts. I think it's interesting that textual critics use the word variance rather than errors. Variations are not wrong, but variations are natural. So in the discipline of textual criticism, textual critics have two different designations for variations of manuscripts. There are unintentional variants, and there are intentional variants. I'll deal with the unintentional variant first. An unintentional variant can take place when words only differentiate by one letter or maybe by a long vowel in the Greek language. A biblical example is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, let us have peace with God. Some translations will say, we have peace with God without the let us. So which one's right? The one that says, let us have peace with God, or one that says, we have peace with God? The difference in that translation simply comes down to whether or not the O is long or short in the Greek word, echomen. If the scribe missed that vowel being long or short, you would have a different translation. It might read, let us have peace with God, or we have peace with God, and it all comes down to one vowel. We have the same thing today in the English language. Think about the two words, effect or effect. One is spelt with an E, one is spelt with an A. Very close. Or read versus read. 
They're spelled the exact same way. It depends on how it's pronounced and the context. Or the infamous there, there, or there. T-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-I-R, or T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. Even people with advanced degrees mix these words up as they are used so frequently and they only differ by one letter or by one vowel. The same is true for the discipline of textual criticism. Sometimes words change. That's another unintentional variant. If you're from the great state of Texas, you probably know that at one time Texas was not called Texas. It was called Tejas. But over time, it changed to Texas. The same is true for biblical languages. Throughout history, sometimes words change. Another unintentional variant is when scribes could have skipped lines. They were most likely copying the Uncial manuscripts. From last episode, the Uncial manuscripts were all capital letters without any spacing. If you were trying to copy a manuscript that was in all capitals with no spacing, inevitably you would probably skip a line or two, and that very well could have happened in their effort to copy the manuscripts. Those are the unintentional variants. Here are some intentional variants. Sometimes, on purpose, scribes would change manuscripts for the purpose of clarification. An example is in John chapter 7, verse 39. It literally reads in the original manuscripts, For not yet was the Spirit. But to clarify that the Spirit was in existence in John seven thirty nine, but that it had not yet been given to mankind because Jesus was still on earth, John 7.39 now reads, Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. There is an intentional variant for the purpose of clarification. Sometimes there was an intentional variant for the purpose of formalization. An example would be John chapter 5, verse 2. It reads in the NIV, There is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. The NIV includes a footnote that says some manuscripts refer to it as Beth Zathah, other manuscripts as Beth Sayada, but the NIV uses the word Bethesda. Why the difference? Proper names can be difficult to copy into different languages. That would have been an intentional variant. One more, this one's a little bit more confusing than the clarification or the formalization, but the third category is harmonization. A good example of this is found in Matthew eleven nineteen and Luke chapter seven verse thirty five. Matthew nineteen or eleven nineteen and Luke seven thirty five detail the same story. One is in the account of Matthew, one is in the account of Luke. It's about when Jesus is criticized for spending his time around tax collectors and sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen reads, Yet wisdom is justified by her works. Luke seven thirty five reads, Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The RSV, the Revised Standard Version, has a footnote at the bottom of the page of Matthew eleven nineteen that says many ancient manuscripts read children as in Luke 7.35. Returning to last week's episode about the famous Sinaitic manuscript, or Sinaiticus, depending on how you translate that or pronounce that, uh, 
The Sinaiticus was considered to be the oldest translation of the New Testament and also uh, the most reliable manuscript. The Sinaitic manuscript and the Vatican manuscript both read works instead of children. Even with more manuscripts using children, works was considered more reliable and thus used by the revised standard version, the RSV. But other translations used children. So Matthew eleven nineteen and Luke seven thirty five would be consistent. The RSV does, however, point out that it is unique in using the word works instead of children. So there are intentional variants, there are unintentional variants. They happen because human beings are fallible. But let me finish with some rules that need to be kept in mind when it comes to textual criticism. Number one, more difficult readings are likely more reliable readings. If it's a more difficult translation to translate, the chances are very good that a scribe did not attempt to clarify or harmonize the manuscript in the day in which it was copied. Number two, quality of manuscripts trump the quantity of manuscripts. Remember, the Sinaiticus or the Sinaitic and the Vatican manuscripts are considered the most reliable. The question always gets back to what did they say? The Sinaiticus did not include stories like the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 or Mark's ending to his gospel account in Mark chapter 16. These stories were considered authoritative by oral tradition, so most, if not all, translations do include them today. But they were not in the Sinaitic or Vatican manuscripts, and that point is often noted with a footnote. But that gets back to the idea that the quality of manuscripts, Sinaiticus and Vatican, will trump the quantity of manuscripts. It's not about what do most manuscripts say, it's about which manuscripts are most reliable and what do they say. And finally, one more rule for textual criticism. Minutely different readings are more reliable readings. In other words, if there are just a few variations here and there, it's a better chance that it's more reliable than if they all read this the same way. You see things like this when detectives are trying to solve a case and they will interrogate witnesses or interview suspects. When all of the details to a crime are told the exact same way, without any variance. With detectives, suspicion often arises to whether or not this testimony is true or valid. But if it's the main same story with just a few differences, detectives feel like that's probably more realistic. Whereas if they're all the exact same way, they've been altered or coached or varied for a specific reason. The same is true in textual criticism. If the same story is told, the same idea is communicated with just a few differences here and there, more than likely it is a very reliable manuscript and thus a very reliable translation. I want to finish today with a very good reminder from Dr. Lightfoot about textual criticism. Dr. Lightfoot says, A few variations present problems for our text, 
but they are not impossible to solve. Even if they were, since the number of them is so few, these should not be stumbling blocks to our faith. In other words, we can still believe the Bible. We can still know it's the Word of God. We can still know that it is indeed infallible. No variant, unintentional or intentional, contradict the teachings of Jesus or other biblical authors. I want to thank you again today for joining us on Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. I would love to hear your questions and do my best to provide a response that would be helpful. This is a new area for me. I'm learning as we go, and I hope that you are learning something as well. God bless, and we look forward to talking with you next time.